Welcome to the Centro Church Podcast. To find out more about Centro Church, please visit us at centrochurch.com.au or download our smartphone app today. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to uh, improve yourself? Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, I should read a book, maybe get a mentor, uh, counselling, do a course, uh, get my hair to cut, uh, something to make me a better person? Um, buy some makeup, I don't know, whatever it might happen to be. Um, if you've ever thought to yourself, I could be better, you know, maybe I'm not doing too bad, but meh, I reckon I could be doing just a little bit better. You're actually in quite good company. Uh, many people have thought that before you, and uh, as we sit here tonight, of course, self-help books and, uh, and improvement programs are, are all over the place. Well, there was a, a, a young man many years ago now who went to somebody who he thought could help him. Um, he thought this guy would be able to mentor me, you know, who'd be able to point out the areas of my life that need improving and uh, give me what I need to make it to the next level. And the person who he went to talk to, you would think would be the person who could, you know, nail it. What area of my life, you know, was, uh, was lacking. The person he went to, his name was Jesus. And um, we're going to look into the story tonight and the way Jesus responds to his request for mentoring, his, his request to, you know, help me get better is, well, I think at best shocking um, and at worst it is, it is almost unexplainable. So tonight we're going to attempt to explain the unexplainable. Uh, we're going to delve into this story about a young man who came to see Jesus and the story, if you want to follow it in the Bible, is found in Matthew chapter 9. And if you've been following the reading, guys, we just finished reading the Gospel of Matthew. And we read this a couple of weeks ago. It says, Just then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? If somebody came to you and said, Hey, um, you know, uh, Tim, teacher, great message this morning, great teacher, Tim, can you help me? You know, there's areas in my life that are lacking, areas in my life that, you know, I feel kind of I could improve. Could you tell me one area of my life that I could improve? If I came to you and, and, and I said, you know, um, I want to be the best dad I can be, if I went to my, my children, said, I want to be the best father I can be, or let's get real dirty here. If I went to my wife and said, honey, I want to be the best husband that I could be, is there one area that I need to improve? <laughs> Excuse me, that wasn't funny. Um, what do you think she would say? Do you think she'd say, oh no, honey, you're just perfect in every way. Yeah, in your dreams. So it's, it's not a, you know, it doesn't seem a, a really bad thing to say, does it? To come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm an open book. I want to learn. I want to improve. I want to get better. Pointing out one thing, one area, one, one, one point of my life that needs to if you think it's almost a, a really honorable thing to do and Jesus responds this is what Jesus says why do you ask me about what is good because you're Jesus <laughs> Jesus says there's only one who is good did you hear me one so next time someone says to you how are you going don't say don't say good <laughs> because you are clearly at contradiction with scripture Unless you're the only one, the Bible says there's only one that's good. Therefore, if you respond, if someone says, how you doing? You say, good. Wow. Then you're pretending to be the only one. According to this, 
There's only one, capital O, he's talking about God, right? So you're masquerading, I don't know, anyway. He says, if, uh, there's only one who's good. However, he says, if you want to enter um, eternal life, if you want life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He, he, he inquires. Again, relatively, you think, normal question. Okay, all right. And Simon, keep these commandments. What, what, what are the commandments you want me to keep? Now Moses has given this 10, the Pharisees have taken up to a little over 600. Jesus replies, you shall not murder. Hands up, are those in the race so far? Oh gee, not many, okay. <laughs> this is a tougher crowd than I thought. Uh, my sneaky suspicion is that you're all being a bit, a bit shy because I, I don't know anybody in the room here who's murdered. I think pretty much we all make the cut at this point. Um, he says, thou shalt not commit adultery. I won't go for hands up on that one. Uh, you shall not steal. Right? It's getting a little narrow, isn't it? Right? Remember all those years ago in, in Coles, that Mars bar? You, anyway, we'll move on. Um, you shall not give false testimony. Or tell stories. Lies. Have you ever told a lie? Getting narrower, isn't it? Eh? Um, Honour your mother and father. Have you ever dishonoured your parents? doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter if you're 15 or 55. The question still is there. Have you ever dishonored your parents, honor your mother and father, and love your neighbor? Oh my gosh, you know my neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So he starts really wide, right? Thou shalt not commit murder. Pretty much, that's probably all of us. And he comes down real narrow and says, but you've got to love your neighbor. Love everybody else as you love yourself. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I gotta, I'll be honest and say, I don't make the cut, right? So anybody make the cut? Uh, I want to meet you later, all right? I'd like to hang out with you. You are one of the very few if you can make the cut after all of that. But this guy, he's pretty incredible because he makes the cut. He says this, all these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Now that's impressive. We are dealing here with a remarkable young man. And Jesus answered, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. You want to underline that? Maybe God's speaking directly to you tonight. Go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away and said, because he had great wealth, uh, he went away sad, I should, I should say. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich. And uh, you just need to know, because you're probably thinking about some rich dude you know, you need to realize the very fact that you're born in this nation puts you in top 5% of rich people in the world. So that's pretty much all of us. Um, it's pretty hard for someone who's rich, or it's easier for a camel to go through an odd needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's tension in the camp right now. The disciples, you can just see their faces starting to kind of, you know, pull bemused expressions as they start to look at each other. And they start to ask this question. If that bloke doesn't make the cut, what hope have I got? That's an impressive young man. And yet he is not good enough for heaven. And the question that they ask is not rehearsed. The question that they ask, I suggest, is not you know, some kind of uh, 
um, you know, let's, let's all get together and try to figure out, you know, what's good, a good three questions to ask Jesus. It, it, it just seems to, I reckon, pop out of the air. As they're looking at each other and the tension is palpable. You could cut the air with a knife because Jesus has basically just said, none of you are going to go to heaven. Basically, that's what he said. That's what they've heard anyway. And so uh, when the disciples did this, they were greatly astonished. Okay, so they're bemused, they're perplexed. They're thinking, whoa, this is a heavy trip. And they asked the question, who then can be saved? Who can be be saved famous story about a young man who had it together morally who had it together materially who had it together relationally he's the kind of person you want in your church right if you're pastoring a church you want a church full of these blokes because these guys they don't need money they've got plenty of money they can be very generous they they, they have the capacity these guys that they they're relationally very um uh, very inclusive you know they they get on with both their parents that's a big deal right there um, I want to suggest to you that your mother and father will put into your world to help mold your relational ability you think they're a little bit you know what I'm saying the truth is you don't learn to get on with them you you'll you'll spend the rest of your life trying to get on with people uh, he got on with his parents he um, he was a moral person you know he didn't struggle with with uh, sexual purity he uh, finished his homework he cleaned up his room he did the dishes man I don't want this kid just as a member of my church I want him as my son he is an impressive young man and good things that happened to him you know and we think that don't we we think if I'm good good things will happen to me we all think a bit like that if bad things happen to us we think well bad things happen because I've been bad but good things happen to me because I've been good and so he had good stuff happen to him and he probably thought well that's, that's because I'm I'm good, but he had the self-awareness. I mean, just to put a feather in his cap, right? I mean, he had it all together, but he had the self-awareness to recognize there was something missing, which most people do, but they don't have the humility to admit it. So he has the humility to admit that he hasn't got it all together, despite the fact that his money, his finances, his family, and his morality is probably better than, than, than anybody's in this room. Yet something was lacking in this guy. Yet he needed one more step, if you will, to get to the top of the mountain. And he thinks a lot like many people, you know. Many people think if I could just get the right partner, the right boyfriend, the right girlfriend, if I could just get the right husband, the right wife, the right job, the right income, the right house, the right car, the right clothes, if I could just get something right, if I could just get one more thing right, then I know I'm there. He's almost at the top of his mountain when Jesus is about to burst his bubble, Jesus is about to fundamentally say this, you're almost there, but you're on the wrong road. Let me ask you this. Imagine that you were riding your bike to Sydney in some kind of race. And you had this map and all these questions and, and you figured it out and you're riding and you've been days, I mean, days it takes to ride to Sydney. And you're getting towards the capital you know, you can see the lights glowing in the night. And you're thinking to yourself, we're almost there. I'm almost there. I've been riding for days. I've been figuring out where I'm supposed to be. And you're within kilometers of the city. And all of a sudden, someone comes out and says to you, you know something? Yeah, you're supposed to be in Cairns. <laughs> How do you feel? What do you do right about that time? You spent 
three weeks on the road, exhausting your mental and physical energies to get where you're going. You're within, you know, a couple of Ks of it. Some smarter leak pops out of nowhere and tells you you've gone the wrong way. The Bible says this bloke went away sad. That word sad literally means downhearted, discouraged, downcast. He was cranky, angry, and upset, just like you would be. If you'd expended all of your energies and all of your capacities to get somewhere, only to find out you're this far from it and you're on the wrong track. So why was he on the wrong track? What was going on here? Why was this guy who seemed to offer so much, who who seemed to have more than enough, actually have very little or nothing at all? I'm going to give you four reasons why he went away sad. Each one is more important than, than, than the last. The one we finished with, my goodness, you've got to get this, all right? I might like to write these down because I actually think they're, they're pretty challenging. But, but the first reason is because he met the real Jesus. <laughs> it's as simple as that. We've done a series in the morning called The Gods of the New Testament. And I encourage you, if you haven't listened, to get online and listen to the, Will the Real God Stand Up? One of the, one of the messages is The Gods of the New Testament. A lot of people meet Jesus, they think. And they go away and it's all, it's all lovely and it's all wonderful and Jesus adds to my life. Jesus does not add to your life. See, when you meet the real Jesus, there are two ways you can respond. One is complete surrender and the other is complete offense. One is I give him everything. The other is I don't like this whole thing called Christianity. And I can tell you right now in our society, it's becoming very, very aggressive towards Christianity, if you haven't noticed. Uh, it's becoming, it's becoming um, uh, very anti anything to do with God and the Christian church. Isn't it weird? You know, if you're Muslim, well, it's your religion, you know, it's your culture. If you're Christian, you're a narrow-minded bigot. How many know what I'm talking about? It's becoming very, very antagonistic. You see, let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus demands more from you than you could ever imagine, but he offers you more than you could ever dream. Jesus demands more from you than you could ever imagine, but he offers you more than you could ever comprehend or dream. He met the real Jesus. And when you meet the real Jesus, you cannot walk away indifferent. You either walk away absolutely uh, overwhelmed by what you've been uh, face to face with, or you'll walk away incredibly offended and angry, uh, disenfranchised, sad is the word they used here. Number one. Number two, um, Jesus smashes his religious view. Let's talk about his religious view because his religious view is shared by many people in this room, I suggest. His religious view was fundamentally this. I lack something. I've got to add one thing to my life. Now, this is a real danger because it happened right way back in the Garden of, the, uh, the Garden of Eden, right? You know the story about Adam and Eve and the, and the apple and the snake and all that sort of thing. And the snake comes to Eve and says, basically what? You need one more thing. 
You're almost there. You want to be God-like? You're nearly there. All you've got to do is just take from the apple of the tree and you're there. The only one thing you've got to add to your life is to consume that apple. That's all you need and you've arrived. You need one more thing. And you see people in the Christian church for crying out loud who think, oh man, I just need one experience. I just need need one confirmation, one touch. I just need something from God. I'm just not quite there. Oh, if I, if I, and I'll travel here and I'll go there and I'll search for that one thing. Oh, I'm just short that one thing. This lie has been existing since the Garden of Eden. And what Jesus fundamentally says, his response, of course, is outrageous. Sell everything you have. That was not what he was expecting to hear. But this is what you need to understand. Jesus doesn't add anything to your life. He blows up everything that's there. Uh, to use the analogy, if you will, of, of, of a house, right? Like, you know, people come to Christ because their house is starting to break down a little bit, you know? They start to see that the, the, there's some holes in the roof or, you know, the walls aren't what they used to be and things aren't, you know, things are, are going pretty shaky here. And, you know, I've heard, that, I've heard that Jesus, you know, is, is the best home renovator there is. Invite him in, let him fix up the house. You know, uh, I brought my husband to church because he needs to be fixed. Will you please fix him, Jesus? Jesus doesn't fix anybody. He kills them. <laughs> he, if we come to him, we've got to die to ourselves. Jesus doesn't renovate our homes. He flattens them and builds again. See, you know, it's not like I need one more app on my phone. I need another file on my computer because I need to be just that little bit more faster, just that little bit more uh, 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 larger. What good thing do I need to do? Sounds like a reasonable question, right? Um, Mark says, who records the same uh, um, particular circumstance, um, says Mark looked right into his eyes. It means Mark looked at him and loved him Jesus took a very close look at him see on the surface we look like we've got it together you might come in tonight you might look around and I remember thinking this particularly when I was a kid now I'm a pastor I know it's not true because I know so much about you all but uh, when I was a kid I used to go to church and I used to think man I'm the only one who struggles with this I think I think man if they knew what I think about (laughs) you know I'm not sure that I'll make it into heaven because I know what I'm struggling with And of course, when you've been around as long as I have, you start to realize that there's no temptation that's not common amongst men. See, you might look at a needle and it looks, you know, sharp and and concise. You put it under a microscope and it's pocked and it's it's anything but perfect. Um, People's lives are like that. There's a thin layer of composure over society. My goodness, if you saw how people really feel about themselves, if you saw what people really thought about, about the world they live in, I think you'd be shocked and realize that you're not as screwed up as you think you are. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, in, in this life, we have, we have vertical lines, you know. It's kind of like there's the haves and the have-nots, you know. The ha- haves are up here, the have-nots are down there, you know. The good people and, and, and the deplorables, to use a Hillary Clinton phrase, you know. Like the, the, the drop kicks, the horrible people. She's a horrible person, he's a horrible person. They're below the line, right? This is the line of acceptability and I'm, I'm above the line, aren't you? I'm above the line, but not everyone in the room is, if you know what I'm talking about, you know. I mean, I don't have to point them out to you, do I? But you know who they are. 
there's a clear line and then those of us who are above the line we're okay then there's those who are below the line give them a a wide berth because we all know what they're like right they're that they're deplorable they're despicable that that person's got issues and we want to keep away from did you know there is no horizontal lines in the kingdom of god there's no sense of those above the line and those beneath the line. There are vertical lines, those under the, the grace of God and those not. But that's a vertical line, not a horizontal line. There's a line to heaven, those who are under God's grace and those who are not under God's grace. That's true. But there is no uh, horizontal line that sort of says, well, these are the despicables, the deplorables, the lowlifes, and then there's us who are kind of like we're okay. Jesus smashes his religious view of life. And he went away sad. Here's the third one. And this is, this is right in your face, all right? So just get ready for this because Jesus gets personal. Jesus got personal. He doesn't stay academic. We love the academic discussion about, about religion, you know? Um, I don't like your religion, your Christianity, because it's, it's just far too exclusive, you know, you think, you think you're the only ones that, that are in and everyone else is out. And I don't even find that Christ-like. Or, um, you know, how can there be this loving God and horrible things happen to good people? And we love an academic discussion to support our anti-God position or whatever it might happen to be. But Jesus doesn't, he goes beyond the academic, right? You know, what theology am I missing? Is there something I need to know? Give me some deeper truths, you know, take me deeper. I love an academic discussion. But Jesus here gets real, real personal. He says, take all that you have and sell it to the poor. You think that you've, that you've met, met all the commandments, right? That's what you think. So let's take commandment number one. What's commandment number one? Have no other gods before me. You think you've got all the Ten Commandments covered. Let's just deal with the first one. Have no other gods before me. You see, our difficulties are not what we think they are. You've got to get this. Your difficulty is not what you think it is. If I could give you a magic wand and you could get rid of somebody or change something in your life right now, what would it be? You're wrong. (laughs) That's not your problem. I'll tell you what our problem is. Our problem is always power struggle over dreams. That's your problem. It's what you think will give you power and joy without God. Now, what do you think will give you power and joy without God? Sex with supermodels? I don't know. Um, $10 million? What would give you power and joy without God? Um, an unlimited expense account Um, you know a perfect family what would give you power and joy without God that was the issue right here see in this man's life his future was tied up in his wealth and he was going to derive from his wealth both power and joy and Jesus comes and touches the very issue in his life which is the very issue in our life. And that is what gives you life or what gives you power and joy without God. Is it popularity? Is it success? I can tell you this, mark my words. Listen, whatever it is, it's going to kill you. If there is something in your life that gives you power and joy without God, it's only a matter of time before that thing has you in bondage. 
It's only a matter of that time until you find yourself serving that God. The love of money in the end, you know, the Bible says it's the beginning of all evil. Uh, but, but, but it's not just the love of money. Indeed, it's anything that I think is going to fix the ache in my heart. See, Abraham's future was tied up in his son. Um, Abraham was a wealthy guy. He had more than he could ever use in his lifetime. But he was concerned about his heirs and successes. How is he going to pass this on? And God miraculously gives him a son and his joy is wound up in that boy. His whole life is wound up in that boy, as you could well imagine, because he himself is now way in advance years. He hasn't got you know, that many years left. And now he has an heir. Now he has someone to carry on the family business, someone to carry on the family name. And what does God say to him? Take that boy, take him to the top of Mount Moriah, get a knife and offer him as a human sacrifice to me <laughs> that's pretty horrific isn't it I mean could you imagine that on the current affair tomorrow night you know God tells father so-and-so to murder his son as a blood sacrifice what kind of God is this this is a weird God right this is this is a bizarre circumstance what's God saying to Abraham God is saying to Abraham this don't get your joy and power from your son you get it from me. And even if it means you have to kill him, then kill him. Kill your son because it's going to be better for you than if you leave him alive if he becomes the source of your power and of your joy. Let's just say in here tonight, I don't know, let me get personal. Maybe, don't put your hands up, but I wonder if you want to, who wants to get married? Who's not married and wants to be married? Don't put your hands up. <laughs> hands down. <laughs> Here's the thing. If that's where you think you're going to derive power and joy, this is what God would say to you. Can you be happy with me and no spouse? Because if you can't be happy with me and no spouse, then if I give you one, it's going to kill you. How many, I mean, maybe, you know, you want to have children. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to have kids. Wanting to have kids is a natural desire and it's all good, you know. Married, want to have kids, whatever. But if, those, if that child becomes for you the source of, of joy, that, that it becomes almost like an idol, then your children will become your undoing. And you finish up worshipping your kids. And your worship for God revolves around the worship of your children. And they've become an idol to you. And to be frank, they're killing you. They are killing your spirituality. God says, put them on the altar and kill them. No, I'm not saying that. But if you think that something will be the panacea of the ache within my heart, you know, if I could just have one more wife or one more husband or one more job or one more opportunity or one more whatever. If that is the source of your joy, then you're headed for disaster. It's only a matter of time till more pain comes into your life. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time until things start going skew if and uh, and, and you start getting all anxious and upset on the inside. Surrender it to God whilst you can. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. Nothing wrong with having a, 
a spouse. There's nothing wrong with having a child. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with anything. But if it becomes the source of your power and joy. See, this is not a, this, see we think it's all about behavior, right? We think, oh, if only I could behave better, then I'd be more acceptable to God. It's not about behavior. It's about dreams. That's the issue. It's not about you need to behave better. It's about you've got to adjust the source of your joy and power. If your joy and power comes from women, sir, then women will kill you. <laughs> if your joy and power comes from the acceptance of people, then people will kill you. Whatever you get your joy and power from, other than God, will inevitably be your undoing. And that's what he's saying to this guy. And it was so hard. It was such a hard word. that he walked away sad. And fourthly and finally, he didn't understand treasure in heaven. He didn't understand what it was to have God as his treasure. He didn't understand what it meant to be the treasure of God. I don't care if you're James Packer or Bill Gates. I don't care if you've got billions. Compared to the person who has Christ, you are living in poverty. You, you, you've got to understand the value of righteousness, the value of salvation, the value of forgiveness. These things that we are get given, these things that are imputed to us through faith in Christ are of immense value. I don't know if you remember old Blue Eyes, you know, Frank Sinatra. The story goes that before he died, that he sent a message to the Pope that he'd donate half of his estate to the Catholic Church if the Pope could, could guarantee him eternal life. <laughs> you see, you are incredibly, incredibly blessed and incredibly, genuinely wealthy. If you carry around righteousness if you carry around peace if you carry around forgiveness these are treasures in this world you know when Jesus sent out his disciples and, and, and they came back all rejoicing that they'd cast out devils and healed people all this kind of stuff and Jesus says don't rejoice over that don't draw your joy from your achievements rejoice that your name is written in heaven and rejoice by the fact that God knows you and you know God. That's the point of your rejoicing. Rejoice in your relationship with the Father, not in with the achievements of your ministry. See, as I write, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. You see, I've engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your, your walls are forever before me. It was the job of the high priest in those days to take the names uh, you know, on his breastplate and his heart and take them into the holy of holies. And what God is saying here is that there's coming a day, I'm going to engrave your name on my hand. You know, I don't know what your name is, I don't mind John Hunt. Well, every time God opens his hand, he sees my name. <laughs> my name is engraved on his hands. What he's saying is if you make, you, you make my son your treasure, you become my treasure. I don't know where you draw your identity from, your dress size, your bank account, your friends, your family, your popularity, your talent. I don't know where you draw your identity from. But I know this. I know that you are rich when you draw your identity from God. When you know that your name is written in heaven. When you understand the value of relationship with the Father.
Jesus gave this bloke an incredible opportunity. He didn't ask a lot of people to follow him, you know. There was a few. Peter, James, John, yeah? Anybody named after them here tonight? There's a few. (laughs) Peter, James, and John, they wrote some of the uh, most enduring literature of all time. Their household names 2,000 years later. Peter, James, and John. My goodness, what lives they lived. What a legacy they left. How rich it would be to meet Peter and James and John. We hold them in such regard, as I said, we name our children after them. Who's this bloke's name? What's this bloke's name? We don't know. We don't know his name. We don't know where he's from. We don't know anything about him, really. We know that he was wealthy. We know that 2,000 years ago when he lived here, he had a lot of you know, stuff that he could push around. But now, we don't know anything about him. Isn't that sad? That Jesus actually said to him, follow me. Imagine if he had it. I wonder if there would have been a, a book in the Bible named after him. I wonder if it might have been him on the day of Pentecost who gave that, you know, stirring message. This is that spoken by the prophet John. Who knows? Who knows what opportunities that young man never experienced? Because Jesus looked him in the eye and said, you follow me. That is recorded in Scripture very, very few times. Where Jesus looked someone in the eye and said, leave all your stuff and follow me. I mentioned three, there was a few others. And every time that they did, the end result has been a legacy that spanned 2,000 years. The end result has been household names. Billions of people 2,000 years later talk about them. This bloke, maybe we get to find his name when we get to heaven. I wonder tonight are you being grieved by God (laughs) that's okay he went away grieved upset but that's okay because he could always come back but he didn't but he could have he could have God can grieve you and that's okay because you can always come back he can upset you you can feel like wow that was a pretty harsh thing to say a bit average but you can always come back should indeed choose to I wonder what you dream about giving you pleasure. What gives you pleasure? Because we're not on a quest for truth. We're on a quest for happiness. You just want to be happy. And the intention is of society, well, to be happy, you've got to have a, you know, a husband or a wife or at least a boyfriend or girlfriend. Otherwise, you're not happy. You want to be happy, you've got to at least have an, you know, an iPhone 6, you know, iPhone 5, not happy, you know, iPhone 7, delirious, you know. But iPhone 4, loser. You've at least got to have the latest gadget if you want to be happy. If you want to be happy, you've at least got to, you fill in the blanks, fit into a certain size dress. If you want to be happy, you've at least got to earn a certain amount of money if you at least want to be happy. The very thing today that we're pursuing is the very thing that's killing us. Tonight, I'm just simply bringing this story to you because I'm wondering if you've been struggling. I wonder if you've been thinking, what, what is it? What is it? What is it? I've got to give up. What one more thing do I need? I know I'm just not quite there. I'm struggling. I'm just not happy with that. You know, this, this, this. 
maybe if I get that, maybe if I get that. And Jesus comes to you exactly the same way he comes to this place. And you meet the real Jesus, not, not, not some fabricated kind of Western civilization Jesus who gives you everything you want, you know, bodyguard Jesus, on-demand Jesus. We talked about them Sunday morning a few weeks ago. But the real Jesus who leaves you, you know, one way or the other, either, either bereft of, of, of joy or overflowing with it. He will break over open your religious concepts of a horizontal line of the ins and the outs, the goods and the bads. And he'll get real personal. So what is it? What's your dream? What's your heart's desire for your joy? Can you shift that to me? Because if you can't, that thing is going to become a curse on your life. Start to draw joy from the fact that your name is written in heaven. Let's just bow our eyes for a moment. Bow our eyes, close our heads, and... Uh, <laughs> Or something like that. You know what I mean. Bow our heads and close our eyes. There you go. I knew I'd get it. Excellent. Because, uh, you know, uh, this is a enthralling story. It's a, it's a ridiculous story. It's amazing. <laughs> you have this together guy. It gets such a rebuke from Jesus. When he'd be so embraced into our kind of social world today. And I just wonder if tonight there is not some aspect of that story that's not relevant to you and your current experience. I'm just wondering tonight, you go, yeah, I'm prepared to give that up, Lord. I, I know that I've set my heart to derive joy from the acquisition, from the achievement, from the accomplishment, from the arrival at that. But tonight, I need to adjust that. I need to come back to Jesus recognize that he is my focus and that he becomes the source the actualization of my joy if, if that's you and you, you just you know you understand that's what's filtering around in your head right now you, you, you know that to be true no, I, I'm going to pray for you just, just right with you just, just lift up your hand and go yep that's me so I'm going to give that to God. Just lift up a hand and just say, hey, that's it. I'm just going to give it to God now. Yeah, good on you. 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 Yeah. Look, I, I don't know everybody in the room, but um, uh, maybe you're here and, and you've been pursuing other things. You've been busy, haven't you? <laughs> Someone said, Dibble can't make you bad, he'll make you busy we got this idea that it's about it's about behavior it's not about behavior it's about dreams I don't know what your dream is but I can tell you this Jesus offers more than you have ever imagined more than you have ever contemplated if you're in this room tonight and you've never said yes to Jesus but you say I need to say yes to Jesus tonight to stop muckling around with all these other things. If that's you, then simply slip your hand up and go, yeah, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus. If that's you and you're in this room right now, just give me a wave and I'm going to pray for you. Along with those people that have just lifted their hands a moment ago, if that's you, just simply give me a wave and go, yeah, I need to say yes.